Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty... He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Oh, hello everyone, this is uh, Kenara speaking, I'm your host. For the merciful servants of God, biblical, and I want to emphasize the word biblical, instructional program. Uh, today is October 16th, Saturday, Sabbath, Shabbat, 2010. Well, I want to read a disturbing article. I just uh, was looking at InfoWars before I get into the Bible study today about the very significant book of Malachi. As a matter of fact, all the books of the Bible are significant, but they are each book gives a specific message that we need to adhere to and, and take seriously, and Malachi definitely does that. But anyway, let me get to this article. This article is on the Infowars.com website. I suggest anyone, if you want revelation of what real news is really all about, then I suggest you go to Alex Jones, Infowars.com, and, and really understand why we're suffering economically right now and and what people who uh, do the best they can to give you the truth that CNN and Fox News and all these other media outlets that are controlled by the CFR, the Council of Foreign Relations, will not tell you. Uh, please go to alexjonesinfowars.com to get the real news. Matter of fact, there's also another website called the real news <laughs> that you should go to as well. But anyway... The name of this article is Epidemic. Half of U.S. teens meet criteria for mental disorder. That's right. Let me repeat this. The title of this article is Academic, question mark, half, that's 50% of U.S. teens meet criteria for mental disorder. This is from the A-G-E-N-C-E, France Pressy, October 15, 2010 says around half of U.S. teens meet the criteria for a mental disorder and nearly one in four report having a mood, behavior, or anxiety disorder that interferes with daily life, American researchers say. Now, this is a significant statement for them to say this, ladies and gentlemen. It only fulfills prophecy, too. 
51% of boys and 49% of girls aged 13 to 19, that's the teenage age range there, have a mood, behavior, anxiety, or substance use disorder. According to the study published in the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and I get people that persecute me for homeschooling my son, Kennard Jr., well, this is the reason why, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want him being in this environment. And you shouldn't want any teenagers to be in this type of environment. I don't care if 50% are screwed up and 50% aren't. I, I don't want, I mean, that's, that's too much of a percentage for my son to be around that environment. But anyway, in 22% of teens, the disorder was so severe it impaired their daily activities and caused great distress, says the study led by Kathleen Merkongas of the National Institutes of Mental Health. So I'm not going to read the entire article. You can if you want, but I just wanted to make my point that these teenagers are, are really messed up uh, in, in society today. And for people that have persecuted me about that, well, you owe me an apology, all right? And uh, things are getting a lot worse, ladies and gentlemen. And there's a prophecy uh, in Second Timothy. Let's turn there. That confirms this article. Second Timothy, chapter three. Verse one. This know also that in the last days perilous or dangerous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. That's what I want to emphasize because if 51% of boys and girls are having mood, behavior, anxiety, or substance problems, they obviously are not are respecting their parents, uh, particularly if they're also into drugs and everything else. Uh, so that's being disobedient to parents. They're unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, uh, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, and here we go again with the pleasure-seeking of uh, substance abuse, and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And so this is a prophecy that's being fulfilled, ladies and gentlemen, and um, our country is in bad shape. And the book of Malachi prophesizes that that would be if we didn't get marriage together. Uh, and, and as you're going to discover today in the book of Malachi, God really says he hates divorce. What does divorce cause? Divorce causes family problems, the kind of problems that I'm reading to you based on this article today. And, and uh, divorce rates are too high in this country, too high. Hosea 4, verse 1 is another prophecy. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. And for those who think we're not children of Israel, well, remember Ephesians chapter 2? It says that we're, we are grafted in or we become part of the commonwealth of Israel. So if you call yourself a believer of the Jewish Messiah, and let's remember he's Jewish, Jesus, or Yeshua, his Hebrew name, or Yahshua. Uh, people can't make up their minds which <laughs> Yeshua or Yahshua, you can call him either one. Uh, well, basically, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 tells you that we are part of the commonwealth of Israel. So there's no such thing as, oh, you have the church and then you have Israel. We're all together. The Jews are with us and all the rest of the tribes. And I have to tell you each and every week and educate and help Yer Davidi reach, hopefully, the entire planet with this message because it's a message that will make the Bible come alive to you, that the ten tribes of Israel are not the Jews only, it also consists, well, actually, 
Jews consist of the tribe of Judah. There were 12 tribes of Israel. And because of Solomon's foolishness, the Bible records that he had separated Israel. Israel became the house. There, there were two houses, the house of Judah and the house of Israel. The house of Israel consists of ten tribes who many historians believe are lost, and they're not. They, they have been found. And also two other tribes, which consist of Judah and, and Benjamin and um, the, Levi, the Levites, and, and Benjamin are together with Jude, uh, the tribe of Judah. But anyway, for proof of this, go to www.britam, B as in boy, R-I-T-A-M dot org. That's www.b as in boy, R-I-T-A-M dot org. You can get his books. I have several of his books. But you don't need to get his books to understand the truth that the ten tribes of Israel consist geographically of the United States. Canada, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, also the countries in Northwestern Europe, and of course anyone that decides to become a believer of the Jewish Messiah naturally becomes a part of the Commonwealth of Israel. That is the truth. So whenever you see children of Israel, don't think, oh, this is talking about the Jews. It's talking about anyone that that claims to be a believer of Yeshua Messiah and also those of the people that live in those areas I just mentioned including the little nation of Israel. It's also part of Israel, as most people know. Anyway, Hosea 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. So now you understand what that means. For the Lord have a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth. And he means the majority of the time there is no truth. No mercy. Mercy means having compassion for your fellow man. Nor knowledge of God in the land. Now this is, this is significant. He says there is no truth. What is the truth? Psalm 119, verse 142, is the law of God, which means Hebraically the teachings of God. There's no teachings of God in the land. There's no compassion. People hardly care about one another in the United States today. And no knowledge of God in the land. So there's hardly any knowledge of God in the land, he says. And, and then verse 2, he talks about our social conditions, as many of the prophets do. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out, and blood touches blood. Verse 3. Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish, with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven. Yes, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. And this prophecy is coming, ladies and gentlemen, unless we repent. Verse 4. Yet let no man strive nor reprove another, for thy people are as they that strive with the priests. And in verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. That you shall be no priest in me, seeing that you have forgotten the law or the Torah, the teachings of God. I will also forget your children. And that's what's going on right now. Uh, <laughs> children are being uh, cursed right now. He's forgetting our children. For half of our U.S. teens to meet the criteria for mental disorder proves that. So, ladies and gentlemen, we need to start getting our, our faces in the Bible, and we need to start listening to Torah teachers that preach the truth, and we need to learn this Bible, just like we learn our, our, our favorite television program and our, our favorite sports team. We need to become experts in the Bible for us to survive the coming catastrophes that will occur in the next few years. So I just wanted to point that out. 
that's a good prelude also to the book of Malachi because in a, in a sense it is like a family book when it's not, when he starts talking about uh, divorce as you see here. But anyway, let's get the setting of Malachi here. I don't want to I want to be able to get this done here at 48 minutes. And this is a good book I recommend anyone get. It's called the um, the English Standard Version of the Bible, the Study Bible. And what I like about it is that it gives you the background and setting of the prophetic books. And it's very important to understand the background and setting of the prophetic books uh, so that you'll understand fully what it's talking about. And uh, on page, uh, what page is this? I mean, let's look at, oh, page 1,771, the introduction to Malachi. Now, the Hebrew name Malachi means my messenger. That's what it means. Okay, so this book is about a prophet called a messenger. All right? And uh, Malachi's ministry took place near 100 years after the decree of Cyrus in 538 B.C., which ended the Babylonian captivity and it allowed the Jews to return to their homeland and rebuild the temple. And this is found in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 36, verse 23. Now remember that in 721 B.C. or 722 B.C., the house of Israel, not the house of Judah, but the house of Israel was taken into captivity by Isaiah. Okay, and they were removed, and people think that they were lost. And if you go to Yer Davidi's website, who, by the way, is an Orthodox Jew, www.britam.org, you'll realize that they are not lost, but they settled in the areas that I mentioned to you today. I'll repeat those areas again. Canada, the United States, uh, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, the countries in northwestern Europe, including the British Isles. That's where they settled at today. They settled in those areas, and that's where they live at today, believe it or not. And it can be proven if you go to his website. He is the world's renowned expert, I would say, in reference to who or what the tribes are. So I recommend you go to him. Anyway, uh, this was some 80 years after Haggai and Zechariah encouraged the rebuilding of that temple with promises of God's blessing, the engrafting of the nations, prosperity, expansion, peace, and the return of God's own glorious presence. To Malachi's disillusion, uh, contemporaries, contemporaries means they lived around the same time he did, these predictions must have seemed a cruel mockery. In contrast to the glory promises, the harsh reality was one of economic privation, prolonged drought, crop failure, and pestilence, and that's because of their sins. Uh, Malachi 3, verse 10 is an example of that. After the return... From exile, Judah remained in almost insignificant territory of about 20 by 30 miles, 32 by 48 kilometers, inhabited by a population of perhaps 150,000. So this gives you the setting. Although they enjoyed the benefits of Persia's enlightened policy, which of Persia today are the modern-day Iranians, anyway, they enjoyed the benefits of Persia's enlightened policy of religious toleration and limited self-rule. The Jews actually felt their subjugation to a foreign power, and they suffered persistent opposition from their neighbors. Judah, as they do today, right? Judah was no longer an independent nation, was no longer ruled by a Davidic king. And they are not today, are they? Worst of all, in spite of the promises of the coming Messiah and God's own glorious presence, Israel experienced only spiritual destitution. Unlike Bible books from earlier periods, the post-exilic books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are remarkably candid and their description of Judah as generally lacking miraculous evidence of God's presence. 
In contrast to both Solomon's temple and the prophetic promise of the restored temple, the actual post-exilic temple was physically and spiritually inferior, as Malachi 3 verse 1 implies, the most holy place. And this second temple had no visible manifestation of the glory of God. So God was certainly alive and well. It was a period in which God's people had to live more by faith than by sight, and that's the period we're living in today, ladies and gentlemen. So many times the, the prophets parallel what's going on in the 21st century, as, as you'll see. Even though God, as far as the social conditions, even though God has disciplined his people severely by means of the exile, he still intends for his name to be honored among the Gentiles. God's chosen vehicle for bringing his name to the Gentiles is his people loving him faithfully. This is therefore the time for Israel to renew its commitment to the covenant. And it is a, it's definitely a time for us today to renew our commitment to the covenant. Now, the content of the book of Malachi places it in the category of prophecy, but the form in which that content is packaged is out of the norm for Old Testament prophecy. Well, let me skip what it says here. It says that the, the norm is God's Torah, the primary vehicle in which the satire is embodied is rhetoric of question and answer. And it says the object of the attack is half-hearted negligent religious service, which in the prophet's day took multiple forms, inappropriate offerings, untruth promoted by the priests, and the prevalence of divorce. And that's the social conditions that we have today in the world, ladies and gentlemen. Now, the setting of Malachi, this is on page 1773, around 460 B.C., this happened. Uh, Malachi likely prophesied several decades after the first exiles of Judah, who consisted of Jews and the Levites and, and part of Benjamites, now under Persian rule, had returned from Babylon to the minor providence of Judea, which is the West Bank today, and rebuilt the temple. Edomites had migrated northwest from their traditional homeland just south of Moab into the area immediately south of Judea, and this land was now called Endunema, Endumia, rather. Territory that once belonged to the northern kingdom of Israel had been divided into several minor provinces, including Samaria. So that, that's the, that's the back, background here. So let's get into the book itself. I'm going to read this in the... the uh, English Standard Version, for clarity's sake here. All right, so it says, The Oracle of the Word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, How have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, or he does not like Esau's actions. And we know what Esau did. He threw away his birthright. And God is not going to respect anyone that does that. Uh, this Jewish tradition that interprets Edom in various contexts of Scripture as being not only the descendants of uh, Esau, but also, which, if you can remember, Esau had married uh, Ishmaelites, so they do have Ishmaelite blood in them, or Arab blood in them. Um, also, it represents the world, or people that are pagan or people that are not a part of God. So that's the Jewish way of understanding it. And then, you know, when you read this, you can see that that has to be the understanding. Um, it says, I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. 
and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So again, you know, Esau can represent the literal Edomites as well as the Edomites representing the entire world because if you have the attitude of Esau, then you have the attitude of the world anyway. All right, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? So the Lord is speaking. He was speaking to the nation of Israel at this time, but he's also speaking to us today. Because remember now, what did Paul tell us about the prophecies? That we should take heed to the prophecies. All right? And we should take heed of all the prophets. So if Paul is telling us in the first century to take heed to the prophetic messages, then they must have some relevance to today. So we, we need to understand that, and we need to not take the, the prophecies of the Bible uh, like uh, what has just happened in old time and, and so forth, and we don't need to listen to, to the prophecies today. And that's not true, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1, he warns us to take seriously each of the prophetic messages of the Tanakh or the Old Testament, including the book of Malachi. In Second Peter chapter 3, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So people say, well, you see the same message again. Well, the reason why is because we have to wake you up constantly. Us Torah teachers have to wake you up constantly, remind you, because you forget. Verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, which Malachi is one of them and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Okay? So let's not forget the messages of the prophets. It's very important for us to do so. So anyway, back to Malachi, chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? So we're having a problem honoring the greatest father of all, respecting the greatest father of all. Elohim, or God the Father in heaven. And if I am a master, where is my fear? What is the fear of the Lord? To hate evil, in Proverbs 8, verse 13. It says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, or Torah teachers today, or ministers, all right, who despise my name. How do you despise his name? And then they're asking a question here. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. And that means exactly what it means, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, they were not giving God his due. They were being stingy like Cain, having the attitude of Cain. But you say, how have we polluted you by saying that the Lord's table may be despised? When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? They didn't offer the right, just like Cain did not offer the right type of grain offering. They didn't offer back then. They did not offer the, the, the right type of offerings to God. And remember, spiritually today, until the temple is built again, how do we honor this commandment? In Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. It says right here, Verse 15, Hebrews 13, verse 15. 
by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So this goes back to honoring his name again. Verse 16, but to do good and to communicate, that word communicate in the, uh, the original Greek should be to share. Forget not, for which such sacrifices God is well pleased. And that is also one of the major reasons why God created the sacrificial system, so that we can learn how to share and care. Uh, when the ancient Israelites gave sacrifices, with the exception of the burnt offering, the whole burnt offering is burnt up and it went to God, the, other, the majority of the other offerings uh, would be shared among the priests and among the people. So it encouraged the people and showed the people how to give and how to share and how to care for one another. That is one of the major purposes of the sacrifice, the sacrificial system. So anyway, getting back to Malachi chapter 1. And verse 8 says, When you offer blind animals and sacrifices, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. If you're not going to do it his way, he's not going to accept it, ladies and gentlemen. He's not going to accept it. Uh, you can give and share and care, but if you don't have the right attitude, if you don't do it the right way, he's not going to accept that. And that's what he's saying here. Verse 11, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will will be great. Verse 11, For, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And his name is linked with doing deeds. With doing deeds, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, in Psalm 105, let's turn there because you, you, you have these different sects of messianics uh, focusing incorrectly on his name. They don't understand that his name has something to do with deeds. In Psalm 105, verse 1, states this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, semicolon, make known his deeds among the people. That's how you call upon the Lord's name, by doing his deeds. What are his deeds? It's all throughout the Bible, in particular, in the, the first five books of the Bible, in Exodus chapter 20, his commandments to uh, chapter 20, 21. It outlines uh, all the major commandments, and then, of course, in Leviticus and Numbers. And the Jews say that there are 613 commandments. There's a lot more than that, but those are the ones that they focus on. But basically... God wants us to obey him. And verse 11 says, For from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name, and a, and a pure... Oh, wait a minute. Verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering, so that means the whole entire world will commit to the sacrificial system. What you may have heard before is false, ladies and gentlemen. The sacrifices were never done away. 
and they will be reinstituted as Exodus, not Exodus, but Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48 clearly reveals. Case in point, Paul um, gave an offering in Acts chapter 21, if you want to read that. So, and then when Christ died, the temple, there was an earthquake at the temple, but the temple was not destroyed back then. It was destroyed in A.D. 70. But they were still sacrificing all up until A.D. 70 when it was was destroyed. Uh, Christ prophesied in Matthew 24 that the temple would be destroyed, and it was. So, but God intends for every person to give him an offering that's alive when he comes back. And this verse and many other verses prove it. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, For from the rising of the sun to his setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering, not a icky offering, and not a uh, disrespectful offering as he's described in the other verses. It says, For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So his name being great among the nations involves a deed, and that deed is giving offerings at the temple. Then also spiritually sharing and caring about other people. All right? In verse 12, But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and his fruit, that, it, that, that is, his food may be despised. But you say, What weariness this is, and you snort at it says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. So they, again, were not bringing the right type of offerings. They were bringing in lame or sick animals and so forth. And that's not what God uh, expected them to do, and that was the wrong way of doing it. And God does not take pleasure in doing things that is incorrect. And then in verse 14, uh, let me read the the rest of this here. Um, Verse 13, but you say, what the weirdness this is, you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And his name is not being feared when they incorrectly give offerings. And I'm going to read this in the, uh, this is a Jewish study Bible version. It, it interprets uh, correctly verse 14 here. It says, Blemished animals which were not fit for sacrifice were offered even by those who had unblemished animals. The main opposition in the text is not between female and male offerings, but between blemished and unblemished male animals. In Israel, as in other agrarian societies, uh, agricultural societies, the most common sacrifice was that of a male animal. Female sacrifices were rare and more expensive. Since each female is potentially a separate breeding animal, but any number of males can be sacrificed as long as one is kept to impregnate the females. So, you know, again, uh, blemished animals are not fit for sacrifice. That's that's the key to this whole thing, okay? So, and they violated that, and God did not appreciate that. He doesn't want you 
offering any blemish sacrifice or uh, giving stingily. You know, he, he doesn't want you doing that. And he didn't like that, and that's what he's talking about here. And unfortunately, uh, quite a few people had that problem today. Okay? So anyway, verse 2, uh, not verse 2, chapter 2 of Malachi. How much time I have left? Plenty of time, 28 minutes. It says, Now, O priests or ministers today, or Torah teachers, this command is for you. So let's listen up, Torah teachers, including myself. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, and I think I've explained how to give honor to his name by caring about people. Uh, we can't give all literal offerings uh, to the temple today, but we can give and share to other people and to, to other Torah teachers today. And we shouldn't do it in a stingy way. But anyway, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart and give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Now, I, I know I don't want to be cursed. So for you ministers and priests and Torah teachers and rabbis that are listening to me today, please listen to this because uh, I'm sure you don't want to be cursed either. So it says, then I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. In other words, you don't take them serious. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. Now, what did I just read to you today about teenagers? Okay, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So that's pretty serious. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi, and Levi is who or what? Levi was is a tribe of Israel linked with the Jews today. Although in Moses' time, Levi was a separate tribe. All right, he says, my agreement with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My agreement or covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. And if you go back, Levi did fear. Matter of fact, uh, when the Israelites were fooling around and so forth, and, and, and they built an idol in objection to what God wanted, uh, Moses had asked, well, everyone is on the Lord's side, come here. And then the Levites did. They came over to Moses' side. So, but anyway, verse 5, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. What is the fear of the Lord? To hate evil, Proverbs 8, verse 13. He stood in awe of my name. How did he do that? Because he hated evil, and he did. he had to do something to prove that to God. True instruction was in his mouth, or should be. Okay, true instruction should be in the uh, Levite's name. A Levite is a symbol of someone who is a minister of God or a priest of God. That's what the Levites are. They are Torah teachers. You have literal physical Levites and you have spiritual Levites. I'm a spiritual Levite. Um, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, accidental occurrence, that my middle name is Levi. But anyway, true instruction was in his mouth, was no wrong Wait a minute. Verse 6 of Malachi chapter 2. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. In other words, in most cases, he spoke the truth. Because all the sin comes short of the glory of God. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. Now, what is peace, ladies and gentlemen? You have people writing 
volumes of books trying to figure out what peace is, and the Bible has told you quite simply what it is. Let's turn to Psalm 119, verse 165. Psalm 119, verse 165. You know, I like doing things the easy way, ladies and gentlemen. I don't like doing it the hard way. <laughs> and I'm sure you do too. But anyway, Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. So peace, which is really... When you understand what the word peace means, it means to have your needs taken care of, ladies and gentlemen, that you don't have any fear, that you can relax and know that everything is okay. Now, we know in this world that the majority of human beings cannot say that, that they can't relax. Rich people can't even relax. You know, that they have billions of these filthy rich folks like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. They have to... By law, I think uh, if you if you make a million dollars or more, you have to have an accountant. And so you have to depend on somebody else to keep your records and stuff. And you don't know whether or not these people are, are being honest or not. So that's just an example of not having peace. Okay? But great peace, not little peace, but great peace, have those who love your law or teachings. So you have to love the teachings of God. You can't be bored with it and say, oh, let me go to sleep. Oh, it's the same old thing. You can't have that kind of attitude if you really want peace. Uh, it says nothing can make them stumble. If you really, really take God's word literally and you love it above everything else, the Bible says nothing will make you stumble. And then in verse 166, I hope for your salvation, O Lord. And how do we hope for the salvation of God? And he says, and I do your commandments by keeping the commandments. That's how you hope for it. So anyway, back in Malachi chapter 2, starting in uh, verse 6 again, true instruction was in the Levite's mouth or a priest or a minister, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. That's the job of a Torah teacher, to turn many from iniquity, from sin. Verse 7, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. I'm the messenger of the Lord of hosts, not because I, I, I'm some supernatural being, but because God has chosen me to preach to his words. doesn't mean that I'm any greater than anyone else. It's just that that's what I am. I'm a messenger of God, and I preach his word. That's all I am. Okay, um, and that's all that any other Torah teacher is today. So, verse seven: For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way; you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the agreement of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despise and abase before all the people, insomuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. The book of James is full of that. In particular, in chapter 2, it talks about being partial. And God does not appreciate partiality in instruction. The Jews are guilty of that today when they teach that the Noahide laws are for the Gentiles and the Torah is for the Jews. And it can be proven out of the, the prophet Isaiah and we should, we'll probably do a Bible study of the whole entire book in the future, but in the prophet Isaiah, in particular in Isaiah chapter 66 and 56, proves 
that the Torah or the teachings of God is also for the Gentiles, non-Jews. Okay. Verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Yes, we all have one true Father. That's the Father in heaven. Has not one God created us all? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless. Yes, they are. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. And this is talking about the the uh, interracial marriages that um, were condemned by God, not because they were of a different race but or a type of human race, but because the, the women that they were marrying, they were pagans. They didn't believe in a true God. That's the reason why God uh, had condemned that, because he states this right here. He says, For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. That's why he... That's why he stressed the foreign God, because they were idolaters, and, and they did not worship the true God. Verse 12, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Verse 13, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And this is a prophecy because even today we have a problem with marriage in this country and worldwide. But in particular in this country, uh, people don't take marriage seriously. And that's the reason why we have the problems, as I just read to you today about Half of U.S. teens can be mentally out of whack. That's what causes teens to be mentally out of whack when, when parents can't get along and they divorce, which he says here that he hates. But anyway, again, the prophets address social conditions. Those social conditions are still prevalent today as they were back then. But anyway, verse 14. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion, your wife, by covenant or agreement. And that's what the the agreement that God made with Israel was a marriage covenant, ladies and gentlemen. That's what our physical marriages picture, actually the, the covenant relationship between God and his people Israel, which was considered his wife and still is today. All right, verse 15. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. And that's what God is seeking. He wants to create a family. But he can't create a family with people who are disobedient to him. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let not none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Do not be faithless. So God does not like divorce, ladies and gentlemen. He doesn't like that. And that's what was going on back then, 
and prophetically that's what's going on today among the tribes of Israel today and where they're located again in Canada, the United States, and New Zealand, and Australia, and South Africa, and the countries of Northwestern Europe, which includes the British Isles. We have a serious problem with divorce. Just if you don't blame me, look it up. Which countries have the worst problem with divorce? Go ahead and look it up. All right, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? And this, I'll give you an example about this homosexuality crap, and I'm going to call it what it is. That's what it is. And it's being accepted more and more today. CNN accepts it. It's like whenever they get a story about homosexuality, they just put it on there like it's something that God approves of. And he does not approve of that, ladies and gentlemen. That is so easily proved out of the Bible. And common sense to tell you that is wrong. Again, I'm going to use common sense, and I hope you have it to understand this. Uh, and I'm not, I don't hate gays, and God doesn't hate gays, but we both hate what they're doing to themselves and to society, uh, helping contribute to the societal breakdown of our, of our teenagers and our youth. Two sperms cannot make a human being, and two ovums, which is the female egg, cannot make a human being. Okay? So we have to have a sperm and an ovum to create an embryo, which out of the embryo a human being is formed. Okay? That is plain common sense. Okay? God, in the beginning, and in Matthew chapter 19, Yeshua, or Jesus, confirms that marriage is between a male and a female, by the way, for those who claim that he didn't. He did. Okay? Just read it for yourself. Matthew chapter 19. And he went back to Genesis. He said, male and female may heed them. Okay? So, they are considered one flesh to God. A male and a female is a marriage. A male and a male and a female and a female is not a marriage. And if God created two men in the beginning or two women, how in the world could I be talking to you today? Or how in the world could you be listening to me today? It would be impossible. So you've got to admit, if your brain is functioning at all, that homosexuality is wrong based on that premise. But anyway, uh, Malachi chapter 3, uh, 2 rather, verse 17, let me repeat it again. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. God hates that stuff, and I hate it too. When people are saying that homosexuality is good, when it's evil. This is a prophecy. It's being fulfilled as I'm speaking. It says, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. That's, what, that's the message that's being preached around the United States, not only about homosexuality, but a, a lot of other things. Greed is good. How can greed be good? There's a movie that uh, I think Wall Street, you know, stating the fact that greed is good. Greed is not good. Pornography is not good. None of that is good. And yet we state that it is through our actions. And he, said, and he delights in them. And he's saying that God delights in pornography and homosexuality. No, he does not. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? And then you challenge God when you say that. Where is the God of justice? <laughs> well, God states this in Malachi 3, verse 1. Yeah, you, you're saying, where is the God of justice? Well, here we go. 
Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, the messenger of the covenant is Yeshua, in whom you delight, the Messiah. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. All right, and let me stop there, and we need to to focus on something that Yeshua focused on in Matthew chapter 17 about the messenger. Now, I'm going to let him talk and tell you who this messenger is. Uh, this is talking about the transfiguration, but I want to get to this part here, Matthew 17, verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And we're going to get to that here in Malachi. He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man would certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking of them of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was the first Elijah to come. But obviously John the Baptist did not restore all things. So there's another Elijah that's going to come in the future and restore all things. What is the things he's going to restore? The truth of God, the teachings of God, the Torah of God. That's what he's going to restore. But anyway, Malachi 3, verse 1. So we need to look at this in two ways. Uh, yeah, uh, John the Baptist did come, and uh, he partially fulfilled this prophecy, but another Elijah, whether or not it's going to be the actual Elijah or someone in the spirit of Elijah, like uh, uh, John the Baptist, we don't know. But it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. He suddenly came to his temple in human form back in the first century. But he's going to come in his spiritual body the second time soon in this age. And the messenger of the covenant, which is Yeshua, or Jesus, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Talking about his second coming, not his first coming. And who can stand when he appears? Everyone was able to stand when Yeshua was on the earth, right? So this guy has to be talking about his second coming. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi. Now, he did partially do that back in the first century. Uh, there's, a, there's a scripture in Acts saying that uh, many of the Kohanim, or the priests, uh, became believers. So he did purify uh, the sons of Levi. But this is also talking about a future prophecy where he's going to purify a whole lot more than he did in the first century. Uh, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Here we go again with offerings. <laughs> then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. So this is a prophecy that the sacrificial system will be reinstituted. Verse 5, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, and against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages. That is happening right now, ladies and gentlemen. That's why he's going to come back. One of the major reasons. The widow and the fathers against those who thrust aside the sordinger and, uh, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. 
Verse 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. He doesn't change his attitude or his character, ladies and gentlemen. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, which are the, all the twelve tribes of Israel, are not consumed. So he's saying you're, 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 you're lucky that he's not changing his attitude, because if he did, we would all be destroyed. That's what he's saying. Verse 7, from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yes, you are robbing me, and yes, yes, he is definitely being robbed, and this is how. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. In other words, give to God's ministers. And at this time, it was a temple, but there's no temple, so we do the best we can by giving not only to God's ministers, but the poor, for those who need help. That's what God wants you to do. That's how you fill spiritually his storehouse today. All right? And thereby put me to the test, says, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, he's talking about a blessing to have food, not Mercedes Benzes and Cadillacs and and uh, lots of women and all that for those who <laughs> are sinning in that area. You shouldn't be. But uh, he's not talking about uh, having being rich. He's talking about having what you need here. All right? Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. There we go, agriculture. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. But, you know, the United States is not a land of delight morally right now. Verse 13, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or... or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the arrogant blessed, and we do. We call people that are arrogant today blessed in this country. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So this is what the people say when they complain to God. In verse 16, then those who feared the Lord, you know, remember the fear of God is to hate evil, spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. So this is a promise. If you uh, remember the Lord and, 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 and give offerings, the way we give offerings today, we find toward teachers like myself and others who you know are preaching the truth. You should try to help them out when they ask. And when they need food or clothes, you should help them out. Uh, if they need a job, you should help them find a job. And not only Torah teachers, but the poor. The tithe is also for the poor. Uh, every three years, there's a poor man's tithe. And you should tithe. And I explain this in my article, uh, Tithes and Offerings, if you go to my website and read that. It's an article that I'm, I'm, I haven't completed yet, but it's enough to, to actually understand how to tithe. And tithing is not oppressive. It never was meant to be oppressive. And God never meant for you to give so much that you go into bankruptcy or you lose your home. So uh, study that article to understand how to give to God and how to give to his Torah teachers and how to give to people who are poor and afflicted and need your help. That's what the tithing system 
is all about. Um, in verse uh, 16, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and the book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. And you serve God by serving other people, which is revealed in Matthew chapter 25, uh, when he gathered all the sheep together. And, and he said, hey, if you uh, visit me in prison, if you clothe me and fed me, then you fed. Uh, fo- uh, if you clothe someone else and fed them, then at, in actuality you fed me. Okay, and that's how you serve God. All right, so the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve it. Now, chapter 4, verse 1, in the remaining three minutes. And uh, you're going to hear this again at the end of this program because I have an audio version of this one chapter. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. It will be nothing left of them. Period. Verse 2, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the Torah of my servant Moses. And remember, this is in the context of hellfire, so obviously the teachings of Moses is very important. The statutes and rules that I commanded him at Hor for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it's talking about the literal day when he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the Septuagint says uh, uh, he will uh, turn the heart of a man toward his neighbor. So this Elijah is going to teach people to love their neighbor as they love themselves, as uh, Yochanan or John the Baptist taught. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That night I come and strike the land, or the Hebraic understanding of this is the earth, with a decree of utter destruction. So that is a pretty um, (laughs) serious ending to this book. But I hope you understand better the book of Malachi today and realize that this, this is a powerful book that can be applied to any generation, particularly this one, as wicked as it is now and and as wicked as it will get in the future. And we need to adhere to the warnings of God's prophet Malachi. Ladies and gentlemen, may God bless and keep you, and I will speak to you next week. And let's uh, listen to Malachi again as we close. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. 
But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.